This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it is uh, going to be a good show. i got to tell you, I've been waiting, waiting, waiting to hear, uh, to be able to hear from Larry Elder on the program. We'll talk with Larry Elder. We'll do sort of a double segment, uh, probably 20 minutes or more, with Larry Elder, hear why he's running, hear what he thinks, hear what he'll do on day one. I asked him what he'll do. I'm going to ask him what he did do on day one. I ask all politicians, executive ones, if they're going to be governor, mayor, president. I love asking that question. It's kind of a setup. If you're any kind of candidate uh, for office, you kind of have that answer down. But it reveals something, too. So we'll talk with Larry Elder. Excited about that. Thank you for tuning in. Speaking of uh, Larry Elder and governors and the recall, I don't know if there's uh, been a day like uh, the last 24 hours for um, Andrew Cuomo or any governor. Um, the report that um, that has been released um, is uh, an extraordinary, I mean, use the term indictment. It's not a, it's not a technical indictment, but it's a extraordinary description of what's gone on and what, and again, you know, look, the attorney general of New York, her name is Letitia James. She is not exactly the most, um, even handed, uh, political, uh, lawyer ever. She's the one who ran for office saying she's going to get Trump. That's literally how she ran. She's a Democrat. And in this case, it's Democrat on Democrat. And, you know, w- there is um, growing, um, growing uh, anxiety in the Democrat Party that this is going to consume everybody uh, from Gavin Newsom, his colleague in this. I mean, it's just it's terribly, terribly nasty. Um, now, let me say something. If you think and oh, I know why I thought about this in the news in the last 24 hours also is Governor Rod Blagojevich. Governor Rod Blagojevich, who went to jail, ostensibly, I think they called it for uh, trying to sell the Obama Senate seat after Obama was elected president. Blagojevich was calling around and saying, yeah, if you want to get that appointment, I'd love to see what you can do and all that. He went to jail. He was pardoned by Trump uh, because it was a very long sentence and Trump thought it wasn't fair. Blagojevich had a press conference in Chicago, and he's suing to uh, be able to run for office again. So somewhere in the world, the Democrats are going, my gosh, on the same day, we got Blagojevich in the news, and then we got Andrew Cuomo. Here's my point. Blagojevich did something that a lot of politicians have done, which is use his position of power to advance his political ends, political, yeah, trying to find political benefit by the power he had. That's gone on forever. And I would argue in both parties, right? It's the swamp. It's, you know, using whether you can you can come up with other ways to talk about the corruption. I don't think any way, anyone, by the way, thought Blagojevich was doing it for money for himself. He was doing it for power and for influence or whatever. But still, at least the facts that have been alleged and, and were um, proven, I think he was convicted by a jury, uh, you know, that he did something wrong. But what Andrew Cuomo did, at least according to the more than 150, I think it was 168 page report that was released by the attorney general. And, and it, it had dozens and dozens, hundreds of hours, dozens and dozens of interviews with people who are looking at the, um, the facts and, excuse me, asking for the facts from real life people. The one that got me was um, a, a highway patrol, a state trooper. New York's um, security for the governor in New York is done by the state troopers. Some places have their own division of the of the government. Uh, most of them use state troopers. They did in Missouri when I was chief of staff to the governor. That's who's in charge. And there was a state trooper, a woman who, who testified under oath and said, this is what he did. This is what it was about. It's, I mean, it's absolutely horrendous. How he has stayed in office before this is stunning. How he can now stay in office is beyond me. 
And the real jackpot, you may remember, is that Cuomo was one of the early backers of Joe Biden. So Joe Biden and his team have never really taken a hard line on uh, the um, on the issues uh, around Cuomo. In part, people think because um, the um, the uh, people believed, you know, that they were, they were very friendly. That's the best way you can say about it. But um, the facts are, now what do you do? And the White House has been sending out word that they're going to, you know, push uh, push for Cuomo to quit. But it is um, it is really really wild. And here's here's what I'd say about the double standard, right? Think about the double standard in this in the media, where they literally spend you know, story after story talking about Congressman Matt Gates of Florida and what he supposedly, you know, might be being investigated about, perhaps. And all along, these stories have been known. The stories I'm talking about now, the stories of Cuomo in this report, the people who allege them, the women who allege these, they were all known. They're, they're, they're not somewhere off in the uh, hard to find. There wasn't one of them who is now living in central India. There were dozens and dozens and the stories were all known. And so and yet we had to wait until this report. So the last thing I'll say about this is that imagine uh, the dynamic in New York now. Attorney generals dropped this report, and now the the governor is you know, clinging to power uh, for who, for how long? Who knows? But the uh, reality here is it's going to be the Democrat on Democrat fighting for a while. And uh, you know this is the danger about being in po- in power. I mean, it's it's partly a good thing, partly a bad thing, right? When you're in power, you've got all these opportunities, and certainly the Biden administration is doing a lot. But you have to worry about your own side that has in power, and we'll see. But the, the real question, I don't think I'll ask Larry Elder about this. But um, at a certain point, the first chance to punish the corruption of the Democrat governors is in California. The recall of of Newsom and Newsom and Cuomo are widely considered or were, they were widely considered the most likely people to run for president. You know, two very successful big states, meaning, excuse me, two very successful politicians in big states. You know, it can draw on massive fundraising uh, prowess because of their states. And so in politics, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, remember Scott Brown. Scott Brown won the Senate seat that was vacated upon the death of um, U.S. Senator of Massachusetts, Ted Kennedy. And Scott Brown was sort of the first chance for the American people to vote after Obama and it was a chance to do the unheard of, right? What was unheard of was the idea of a of a uh, um, of a, um, a Republican winning a Senate seat in Massachusetts. It was almost off the ab- absolute charts of anyone, but it was the first chance for people to uh, to go ahead and try to uh, find a way to express how mad they were. And I remember, by the way, in that period, there were people who were um, who were canvassing voters and making phone calls from all over the country into Massachusetts because you could, you, you could, you know, you, you'd sit in your, in your, on your cell phone or wherever. And by the way, uh, Scott Brown, let me get the dates right. Scott Brown was elected um, and he was uh, elected. Yeah. In late December of 20, uh, let me make it sure I get it right. 2012. And so he, uh, yeah, that's right. No, no, excuse me. That's right. 2010. He took office in February. Sorry. That's what got me off. He took office on February 4th in 2010. So it was late in 2009 just eight or nine months into 
the election of when when uh, Ted Kennedy died, and then he was announced, and that's right. The, the election then was the December and January of 2009, 2010. My point is, it was the first chance for the people to show Obama what they thought, and they did it in the most amazing way. Gavin Newsom has a Scott Brown problem. Gavin Newsom has a Scott Brown. You heard it here first because Scott Brown got all those people that would have never. In fact, they didn't vote for after Scott Brown served. He was sent packing by by, um, by none other than Liz Warren. But at the time, he was given a chance to serve because people were willing to punish the, uh, the, the Democrats and what Obama did. That's the Scott Brown uh, problem, the uh, Scott Brown problem. You heard it here first, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. And by the way, that's why we're talking with Larry Elder in a few minutes, because I believe the Scott Brown problem may be what gets us Governor Larry Elder. Uh, and I think more and more people are coming to see that way. You know, in politics and in campaigns, one of the things you start to know is the flow of a race. And when you see just, not just polling, but you see kind of the energy and what you're seeing in the recall election is it's flowing away from Gavin Newsom, who's got a Scott Brown problem, and it's flowing towards Larry Elder, who has gotten more and more attention. And I think Larry told me off the air when we were getting ready for this, he's, he was on uh, radio and published his columns in almost every uh, corner of California. I mean, really extraordinary to uh, to think about how um, how uh, well positioned he is for this shocking development. And the only great regret I have is that if he wins, uh, Larry Elder becomes governor later this year, probably on about October 15th or October 30th. But he only serves until the next election, which is only a year later uh, or until the you know January when a new person sworn in. It'd be hard to picture him winning, but we'll see. That's what Scott Brown did, too. Made a huge difference. Remember, Scott Brown was the vote stop Obamacare until Pelosi just jammed it through the house uh, as is. So um, a lot of there there. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, about why. Why is he running for governor of California in the upcoming recall? We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I used to, I used to when I first first started out in radio uh, a couple of years ago, and this on the Salem Radio Network, Larry Elder would come on my show to keep me going. I think he was uh, very kind to me, and even more. I'm going to get to this in a minute. He wrote a book that was a really big deal for me in my life, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, a award-winning, successful radio host, he's decided it's time to step into uh, politics and is running in the recall election. Welcome, Larry. How are you? Ed, thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. I've been a, a professional politician now for all of two weeks, so give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're all swamped up. You're covered in swamp. Now that's, but that's the best question, Larry. You're a well-adjusted human being by most accounts. People that know you <laughs> say you have fun. You live like a normal person. You have a lot of opinions. You're all this. Why are you doing this? You know, at first when I was approached by people I respect, like Dennis Prager, uh, my colleague at Salem, uh, by people like a woman named Jenny Sand, who's a local activist, uh, she kept writing me and writing me and writing me and sending me all sorts of stuff on on how I could get elected and why I should get elected, and I kept ignoring all of this. I have a friend named Pastor Jack Hibbs, my pastor. He made the same argument. Another longtime friend named Lionel Chetwin, he's a longtime filmmaker. They all approached me different times, and they all urged me to run. 
And each time I pushed back. And then I thought what I would do, Ed, is ask normal people. I asked my barber, <laughs> I asked the, the grocer, I asked the person where I take my laundry. And I kept waiting for somebody to say, what you just now said, are you nuts? You have a good life. Uh, you're making some money. Uh, you're not having your personal life exposed as you would in the politics. What are you thinking about? Nobody said that. And most people right, said, right. You know, why, why not you? You're from California. You've been talking about these issues for 27 years. You're known up and down the state. I'm on in every major market uh, in California, from Sacramento down to San Diego. I've been writing about these issues. I'm a syndicated columnist. My column is carried in the largest newspaper in the Valley, LA Daily News. It's carried in the Orange County Register. If not you, who? If not now, when? And little by little, I began to think that way. And so now I'm in this thing to win it. But I never, ever, ever thought I'd be going into politics. The last time I ran for anything was fifth grade class president. Uh, and, I, and I took three out of four <laughs> roles. They're still cleaning up the blood. It was a, it was a landslide. I love it. And, and when people tell me, well, Larry, what, 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 do you, what do you bring to the table? Well, you never run for You never had any political experience. And I go, yeah. And the guy right now, Gavin Newsom, he's been governor for two years. We have rising crime, rising homelessness. Uh, he shut down the state in a more severe way than any of the other 49 governors did while flouting the very mandates that he imposed, sitting at that famous French laundry restaurant with the very people that pushed that put together the mandates, not wearing masks, not socially distancing, having his own uh, uh, children enjoying in-person private education, exempting his own um, uh, business from the uh, from the mandates. And I look at the rising outrageous cost of living. The average price of a home in California is $800,000, 150% more than the average price of a home in America. And one of the frequent guests I have on my radio show, you probably heard him, his name is Leo Haney, and he's a professor at UCLA. He says the average price of a home yep. in California is 50% more than it would be but for rules and, and regulations uh, that jack up the price of homes. So I started looking at all these things, homelessness and crime, uh, and the declining quality of public education for crime out loud, 75% of black boys in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency, and those levels are not high. Nearly 50% of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to a high school called Crenshaw High School. If you saw the movie Boys in the Hood, that's my high school. Only 2% of kids at Crenshaw are math proficient. 2%. Now, who sends their kid to a school where only 2% of kids are math proficient if they have an option out? The teachers union opposes choice. That's one of the big things that will happen if and when I'm lucky enough to become governor. I support choice. The money should follow the child rather than the other way around. So parents can determine whether they want to send their kid to a public school or a charter school or a religious school or a private school. So for all those reasons, I decided to run. We're talking with Larry Elder again, uh, the great Larry Elder, radio host before he became a politician just days ago, so don't hold that against him. Uh, Larry, I want to pause. <laughs> you mentioned you went to Crenshaw, Crenshaw, Crenshaw High School, and you're, right. you're, and you're a self-made guy. Now, I want to tell people because one of the most important things about our friendship, I'd say, is you told me about a book that you wrote, and, and the book is out uh, two different versions, a lot like me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation, about your dad and how right. he how he worked and who he was and how you reconciled and I've heard you talk about families and 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 all Larry and it meant so much to me because I have sons now and I have daughters also and I've I learned I, I learned about myself through it but Larry there's so much broken in the country and in California so many people have been taught wrong or or been cooped up I mean it, it, one of the things I think that's powerful about you running is not just that you're not a politician but kind of the man you are and and, and what your dad taught you and how, how your life turned out. And in some ways, people just need hope. They need to actually right. believe it can be better and somebody can do it. 
Absolutely. My father uh, and I did not get along. That's what the book is all about. I thought my father was mean and, and cruel and spanked us too often and too harshly. And unfortunately, the SOB started a little cafe when I'm 10 years old, so now I've got to work for him. So I'm working for him <laughs> for five years, and he's yelling at me and screaming at me in front of people. It's a little diner. When I say restaurant, it sounds like some highfalutin thing. It's not. It's a little diner. Uh, it served uh, breakfasts and lunches. And everybody can see everything going on in the restaurant. And I'm 15 years old, and my dad yelled at me. And for the first time, I decided to, decided to defy him. And I literally walked out of the restaurant, full of, uh, of, of, of patrons. The, the waitress had called in sick. So my dad had to deal with all these people by himself. He came home, and Ed, he was steamed. And he said, why did you leave? And I said, Dad, I got sick and tired of the way you spoke to me, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. Now, that was an act of defiance that my father had never seen. He paid me $10 a day plus tips. He threw it at me as I lay on the bed. He walked out of my bedroom, and we did not have another conversation for 10 years. And when I say not another conversation, I mean not even do you think it's going to rain? How about those Dodgers? What about the Rams? Nothing. Now I'm 25 years old. And I just uh, uh, finished uh, law school. I passed the California bar, the Ohio bar. I'm at a big law firm in Cleveland, Ohio, making a great deal of money. I was 25 years old, making the equivalent of around 150 k And I couldn't sleep, Ed. And I knew it had to do with my father. Not that I ever thought we'd become friends or anything or, or, or that I even wanted a relationship with him. But I wanted to be able to sleep, and I knew that was on my mind. So I called my secretary, and I said, cancel all my appointments. I'm flying to L.A., and I'm going to uh, be back in three or four days. I didn't tell my parents I was coming because I didn't want my father to prepare. I went from the airport uh-huh. LAX direct, directly to the restaurant. I walk in at 1.30. They close at 2.30. I had a bag with me. My dad was shocked to see me. He says, I put your bag in the back? I said, no, Dad. I'm only going to be here for five or ten minutes. I want to tell you something. And I intended to tell him what, a, what an SOB I thought he was, and I figured he'd call me an ungrateful son. Then maybe I'd be able to sleep. So my dad and I sat down, <laughs> and we had an eight-hour conversation. And the man told me about his life, and I knew nothing about his life because I didn't give a damn. And for the first time, I saw my father cry. And my father said, you know your last name, Elder? I said, yes. He said, that's not the name of my father. I said, what? Who's Elder? He said, he's the name of some guy that lived in my life the longest. He said, my mother had a series of irresponsible men. She lived off them. Uh, He never met his biological father. And as my dad was telling me this, he got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I got smaller and smaller and smaller. uh, My dad said, she threw him out of the house when he was 13 years old, never to return because he was quarreling with his mom's then boyfriend. And I said, Dad, what what, what did you do? And for the next eight hours, Ed, he told me about his life. Joined the Marines, became a Pullman porter on the trains. Came to California on a run, and he was shocked. You could walk into a restaurant in the front door and be served. And this is before the war. And so he made a mental note, maybe someday I'll relocate to L.A. And the war is over. Uh, he met and married my mom in Chattanooga. He couldn't get a job as a, as a cook. They told him we don't hire N-words. He came to California, and they wouldn't hire him either. They said he had no references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. So he took two jobs in <laughs> toilets. Uh, and believe it or not, on his income, uh, two jobs, he had a stay-at-home wife, my mother, uh, and she stayed at home until the last of us was in middle school. He was able to buy a home in South Central Los Angeles, which right now is still in the family. It's worth $600,000. Uh, somebody working wow. three jobs as an eighth-grade dropout could not duplicate what my dad did because the cost of living has gone so high in California. That's one of the reasons I'm running. But my dad 
uh, always told my brothers and me the following, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You cannot control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. And before you moan and groan about what somebody did to you or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and say to yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, he always told my brothers and me, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen. How you deal with those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. If anybody had a reason to blame America and call America systemically racist, it's my father. He never felt that way at all. My Republican dad always said this about the Democratic Party, by the way. Democrats believe, Democrats want to give you something for nothing. And when you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. Work hard. <laughs> take advantage of the available opportunities, he told my brothers and me. And that's what I've always tried to do. We're talking again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And we're talking with Larry Elder. And by the way, the book, he's talked about this. It's an extraordinary book. I think I read it in one sitting. It's called A Lot Like Me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation. And as you mentioned, it's a conversation went on for eight hours about his father who'd been estranged with. It is extraordinary. Um, Larry, when people listen to you like that, and on your radio show, of course, Larry Elder's uh, radio show is rightly famous now. I, I said there, in Lakeville, Shotley, for whom I worked, she had a, a, a sort of um, uh, a happy warrior mentality, right? A lot is wrong. A lot is wrong. We got a lot of things wrong. And yet you come at it with a sort of happy warrior, a joyful feel. How do you hold that? Because you've had stuff happen in your life. You've had life happen and you wonder, how do you keep that joy? What's at the heart of it? It's, 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 it's not difficult. I mean, my goodness, we were born in America. We hit the lottery when we were born in America. And to be born with two good parents who are hardworking and wanted us to invest in ourselves and realize our potential, I'm beyond blessed. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. And by the way, I'm asking people to throw a little something in the tip jar, electelder.com, electelder.com, because my opponent can raise and spend an unlimited amount of money. I have spending limitations. But the reason I'm running is because of hope and optimism. Uh, in California, uh, we've got all these brainiacs in Silicon Valley. We have a body of water known as the Pacific Ocean, yet we're not building desalination plants. Uh, Israel and Dubai, for crying out loud, have become self-sufficient by building desalination plants. We're not doing that here in California. Uh, we have rolling brownouts because of energy shortages, water shortages, because we've not really added to our infrastructure in almost 40 years. What have people been doing? Instead of uh, telling people to to conserve on water, we ought to be talking about water abundance and how we can store water underground uh, instead of half of it going off into the Pacific Ocean when we do have rainy seasons. So we ought to be looking to hope, looking to future, looking to innovate ourselves out of our problems. And that's what I'm going to strive for if I'm lucky enough to become the next governor of California. Well, and again, we're talking with Larry Elder. And uh, again, I'll put it up there on social media, too. Uh, it is electelder.com is the website to learn more about Larry, sign up for his uh, emails and also throw some uh, throw some pointed out the governor is allowed to raise as much money as he wants candidates like larry elder are limited um but larry um you the the people i've talked to who talk about this they say in california there's tens of millions of conservatives and common sense thinkers right they may have been democrats in the past they might be republicans might even libertarians or might be nothing but they're saying to themselves this system this system we're in where we give people you know money newsom gives money out right before an election and all this kind of stuff it's a bad system, right? So how, what is it that you can, what do you think, you know, the first day you're governor, maybe you can't do this, first day you're governor, what's the first thing you're thinking you got to do? 
First thing I'm going to do is declare a statewide emergency on homelessness. One of the reasons why we have homelessness is because of the high cost of living in California. Uh, we don't have low-cost apartments, low-cost housing, because of a law called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, which, by the way, is waived for billionaires like uh, the man that built the, Seac- the Sacramento King Stadium. Somehow, some way, uh, the environmental concerns were waived when they want to, uh, but they don't waive them when regular developers want to build homes. Uh, and I want to get some of these people off the streets. And uh, this is something that churches and, and religious organizations should do. Government can't do it. Uh, and um, uh, many of them are mentally ill, uh, and some of them are schizophrenic, meaning of danger to themselves or to others. And they need to be physically removed from the streets and housed in mental institutions for their protection and for the protection of the rest of the homeless population. But if and when I'm able to do all of this, you still have the problem of the lack of affordable housing. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to suspend CEQA uh, as one of the first acts of my being, uh, my being uh, a governor. I that's a great boy. That's about, a, the, about the declining right. quality of public schools in California. Seventy-five percent of black boys cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I kid you not. And those levels are not high. Uh, and as I mentioned, fifty percent of third graders cannot read at state levels of proficiency. The teachers' union is the largest funder of my opponent, Gavin Newsom. They just gave him one point eight million dollars, by the way. Uh, and they are adamantly opposed to school choice because the teachers are not members of the union and they don't get those automatic union dues. But when you look around the country and you ask. Where, the, where teachers send their own school-age kids. Overwhelmingly, they send their own school-age kids to private schools, where only 10% of families with no public school teachers send their kids to private schools, and 6% of black families do. Now, these are the people that know the school system the best, and not, they're not sending their own school-age kids to those schools. That's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, Ed, hanging up a sign outside saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. Yeah, it's uh, it is crazy, and 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 um, well, and those are those are great, uh, Larry. I'm talking, by the way, with Larry Elder. And again, please go visit electelder.com. Electelder.com. Larry Elder is running uh, for in the recall. Um, Larry, about the recall. I don't know if I got this right. Is 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 the election going to be all mail-in ballots, or are they just going to mail ballots? But you can also vote in person. Well, you, you can go in person, but they're going to send ballots to every single eligible voter. Uh, and you have the option of voting mail-in or have the option of going in physically uh, and voting. But my suspicion is most people are going to respond by mail-in. And by the way, the ballots go out on August the 14th, even though the election is September the 14th. By the time September the 14th rolls around, it's almost going to be anticlimactic. Um, and that's right. one of the reasons I need, I need so much money. Uh, and that's, you know, we, you need to run ads up and down the state in California TV and, and print ads. Uh, but it's a, it's a two-step deal. It's very simple. The ballot says, do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? If 50% plus one says yes, the next, next part of it is, who do you want to replace him? Now, we won't know whether or not 50% plus one said yes until the state uh, Secretary of State certifies the election. But on that ballot, it's very simple. Do you want Gavin Newsom recalled? Who should replace him? If 50% plus one voter recalls him, whoever gets the greatest number of votes to replace him will become the next governor of California. And right now, I am substantially ahead of my Republican rivals, although I will support anybody over Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Electelder.com is the website. Larry, how do you, how do you envision protecting uh, from voter fraud? I mean, it's almost at this point, Democrats are scared of how badly Biden is doing in the White House, how badly yeah. Gavin Newsom's doing. Yeah. How, what's your, what, is your, what are you going to do to stop the voter fraud? Can you? Good, go good lawyers. Good lawyers. And remember, uh, I don't know if you know that they tried to keep me off the ballot when I first uh, announced they, they, there's a law that requires you to turn yeah. over five years of your tax returns. You have to turn over two, two sets of two copies identical. And I will admit that with a screw up on our part, we turned in 150 pages 
and 143 pages. Don't ask me why seven pages were missing. But you, they had all seven pages in the first set. They could have easily corrected it. The Secretary of State decided not to. And so my name was off the ballot. So we had to sue them. Uh, it went all the way up to, uh, to a judge. And the judge, within 15 minutes, said, A, the law doesn't even apply to recall elections. And B, Mr. Elder substantially complied. And as a result, I was put on the ballot. I told my lawyer, who's brilliant, uh, my cousin Vinny could win this could win this case. He said, he said, he said, okay, go hire, go hire my cousin Vinny and see what happens. I said, okay, okay, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, so you think, so you're, th- but you, I guess what can people do other than go to uh, electelder.com and give you some money because you got to hire the lawyers. I mean, is that the best, at this point, the best thing, I mean, I hate to say it, but we, you probably have to win by more than they can steal. And maybe that's going to happen because we're worried about everybody. Everybody I talk to is worried about that the California election, because it's mail in a lot of it, they're just going to run the numbers the way they want. Well, all I know is this. There was a ballot initiative called uh, Proposition 16, uh, which would have repealed another ballot initiative that said you cannot use race as a factor in college admissions, uh, in contracting, uh, and in uh, in hiring for state jobs. Uh, The no side that says we don't want race used, we want this to be a colorblind deal, was outspent 20 to one, and they still won, despite allegations uh, that there might be election fraud. So I think that common sense will prevail. Uh, the, the rising crime has no color. Uh, rising homelessness has no color. The outrageous cost of living has no color. The way this man shut down this uh, this state while ignoring the science has no color. And I think there are going to be a whole bunch of men and women, many of whom are Democrats and independents, that are going to vote to throw this guy out, whether or not there might be voter fraud or not. I think there'll be so many people that, that any kind of shenanigans will be overcome. Do you think, Larry, the last line of questions here, again, we're talking with Larry Elder. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Larry, do you think that the... Um, You've been around politics a long time, and you're a, you, you're a big-time lawyer at a big firm. Is this the worst we've been in terms of American politicians, both parties, in a way? Um, or, or is it ebbing and flowing? I mean, do you feel like, again, you're a joyful warrior. You're a guy that doesn't get down, at least uh, sometimes you get angry, but you don't get down. Are we at the, right. the bottom in, in terms of the, the, the quality and the caliber of these people in office? Well, when after the election of the first black president and the re-election of this black president, despite presiding over the worst economic recovery since 1949, I thought this business of systemic racism was dead. It is not. And that's because the Democrats know that Donald Trump increased the percentage of black vote from 8% in 2016 to 12 to 20% in 2020. That's a 50% increase. It gets to about 15%, 17%, and Democrats know that they are toast. So they're doubling down on calling uh, white people people oppressors and calling black people victims. They're doubling down on crap like, like uh, critical race theory and reparations, doubling down on, re- on referring to police officers, despite evidence to the contrary, that they're engaging in systemic racism against black people and are using a, a disproportionate force against black people. As I said, even though study after study after study shows, if anything, the police are more reluctant, more hesitant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than a white suspect. I've never seen this before. So we're at an inflection point, I really do believe. It is amazing. All right, Larry Elder, thank you uh, for your time. As always, electelder.com is the website. Go there, sign up so you get on his emails, but also give him a a few shekels so he gets uh, moving and watch these next two months. But remember, August 14th, the California voters, you're going to be able to vote early. You can't wait. Uh, You shouldn't wait. You should get focused. So thanks, Larry, for everything. Good luck and God bless. We're praying for you. And we'll be talking more about the issues that you brought up. It's uh, very important. God bless. Thank you for, for having me. I appreciate it.
All right, everybody. Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder. Again, electelder.com. We'll put it up on social media and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The nation watched in horror as President Biden and his congressional Democrat allies made a full court press to pass H.R. 1, the so-called For the People Act, which would require all 50 states to implement fraud-prone election procedures. One feature of the bill is that it would stop the proper authentication of ballots, thereby permitting millions of unverified mail-in ballots to decide elections. This misbegotten legislation passed the House without a single Republican voting for it, while senior Democrat Representative Benny Thompson voted against it. Thompson explained that his constituents were opposed to this bill, and as he put it, I always vote in the interest of my constituents. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham observed, In my view, H.R. 1 is the biggest power grab in the history of the country. It mandates ballot harvesting, no voter ID. It does away with the states being able to redistrict when you have population shifts. Even the left-leaning New York Times conceded H.R. 1 is poorly matched to the moment because it attempts to accomplish more than is currently feasible. Despite lacking the necessary 60 votes to proceed, Senator Chuck Schumer forced the 50-50 Senate to vote on the Senate version called S-1, and it failed. He has said he may try again later. If even the New York Times is willing to admit that H.R. 1 is poorly matched to the moment, conservatives should be wondering why Democrats chose this particular moment to push this particular bill. After all, these huge pieces of legislation don't come by accident. You can bet that a gaggle of high-paid political strategists agonized over how Democrats could most effectively utilize their majorities in this Congress. The answer is election integrity. Thanks to Donald Trump, more conservatives than ever before are willing to expend grassroots energy to secure future elections against fraud and irregularities. Democrats know they cannot win against the grassroots at the state and local levels, so they try to dictate it from the swamp. Don't let them silence your voice. H.R. 1 is proof that the left sees our progress. Keep it up. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And we're wrapping things up. That is some. That is an important guy right there. When you when you think about Larry Elder, and again, electelder.com is his website, it's important for what he's doing, just how he's impacting the whole conversation in the country. It is extraordinary. And you know, this is what I was thinking about him as we're finishing up. When, when history is written, history is written by the participants, and then it's not written by the historians. It's written by people that get involved in whatever way they're called to, however you'd sort of put the thing together. And sometimes, you know, there's a um, coming up in a few weeks, uh, six or seven weeks, we have an event, and the, the, the tagline is local action, national impact. And, uh, and people are, you know, how do you get involved? Well, in Larry Elder's case, he stepped up and, uh, and got involved. And my, my, here's what my point. 
I, I was looking um, over the last week at a, a book that's out, and the book is called um, Reagan Land. Reagan Land, and it's by a guy named Rick Perlstein. And what my 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 thought as I read this, the reviews of this book, I've read only excerpts of the book because I I did order it, but I haven't gotten it. It's called Reagan Land by Rick Perlstein. He's written a book on um he's written a book on uh, Nixon. He's written a book on uh, Goldwater. He kind of writes political histories, especially around the eras in the '60s and '70s, and how the conservative movement started and what happened. He's kind of at a certain point with good authors, and you see this um. They sort of are recycling the topics around new uh, theories and new things. So the one on Goldwater was called Before the Storm, and it was how Goldwater really set the table for what happened o- over the years afterwards. And uh, and so in this case, the book is called Reagan Land, and um, it is about the right, he calls it the right turn from 1976 to 1980. And the reason I was, um, uh, I was interviewed for the book, I don't think I'm cited anywhere, but I was talking about Phyllis Schlafly and the role she played. Here's my point. History is being written by the people uh, who are right now participating. And in the old days, you'd have to rely on a Rick Perlstein to tell you what the narrative was. And that's a big, powerful thing. You know, one of the one of the listeners on this program has come back to me frequently and said, when you talk about the narrative machine, Ed, you talk about big tech, big media and big government working together to tell us what the truth is. And they're lying about it. And one of our listeners will often say to me, what about big history? Meaning that there's a whole industry that goes about defining what happened on the terms they want it to be. So you heard Larry Elder in the interview talked about Obama, twice elected African-American man, and it ran the economy into the ground, and yet it's written that he was very competent, very capable, all kinds of things. And the point here is the history is being written by people who are against a lot of what we believe. And one of the powerful things about someone like Larry Elder running or even Trump running was the in, you, you're bringing into the public spe- sphere the issues. If you didn't hear Larry Elder, did you hear what he said? Larry Elder said the top two things he's going to do when he gets in office, top two, one is homelessness. And did you hear? He didn't take a mamby-pamby view. What happens, a mamby-pamby view is a homelessness, this, homelessness, that. He said, no, we have to help these people by getting them off the streets. And if you have to do it by force, you have to do it by force because they're dying there. And then the second thing he said was School uh, schools are failing our kids. Seventy-five percent of African American black he could black boys can't read by the time they get to high school in California, and so changing the dynamic in this modern era is extraordinarily important and powerful, and it can be done. It can be done, and you see it with Larry Elder running. You see it with what Trump did. You see it with even the populist movements where we have this incredible um, uh, situation, incredible um, uh, movement. Over five years, five years ago, and let's say seven years ago, seven years ago, I was just coming off the board of the Republican National Committee. I was chairman of of the Missouri Republican Party at the time. And you could not, at the national level, have an opinion that was hardline on or against free trade, against immigration. You couldn't do it. There was only outliers. It was like Buchanan could talk about it. Phyllis Schlafly could talk about it. And then because of the last five years, and Trump was the leader of it, the Republican Party has shifted dramatically just on the issue of trade, just on the issue of uh, immigration, also on the issue of China. And those movements are, 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 are shifting, or not so that's a word, are passing through our culture so fast and so important that people are stepping up uh, to, to find those. And again, local action, national impact is the, is the phrase that's been used by a lot of people. And the point here is there's a, something about the, um, 
media, social media, the internet, that both makes us crazy, they're doing it all the time, but also gives us access, gives us an opportunity. If you want to, you can take the steps. You can find your school board member in five minutes online. You can find your uh, police chief or sheriff online email address in five minutes. If you want to communicate your concern, and you know, I didn't even get into it, Larry Elder on the, he, he mentioned at the beginning, Gavin Newsom was uh, the big mask mandate guy and big into all that stuff. And then was uh, you know famously photographed out for dinner. But I got to tell you, if you look closely at the, at the ability you, you have to impact what's going on in your local community, it's been increased by the power of technology if you know how to use it. If you know how to use it, that's the big if. You've got to understand how to use it. You've got to understand how to communicate. Again, one more footnote I'll drop on this. And I'm not, I, I don't know if I, I got them run by uh, Noah uh, uh, at some point and others. I'm not, I don't think we endorse candidates on the air. I just love Larry Elder because what he taught me about being a father with his book on his dad. It's incredible. Uh, but you can see when a guy like Larry comes into this, he's such a good communicator. He's such a persuasive man. It changes the whole dynamic. It changes the whole dynamic in a positive way. It's amazing. So local action, national impact. All right, everybody, we got uh, to run. I want to say thank you, as always, to our producer, Noah, especially with the long Larry Elder interview, making that work. Joanna, for helping book, up and book our guests. And you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com anytime to track what we're up to. We'll be right back. I'm Noah back, back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.